And why, if I may ask another question, are you willing to sell it to me? Because I'm afraid. After what happened to Floyd, I'm afraid to touch it except to turn it over to somebody else. What exactly did happen to Floyd? Fat man. Fat man. Is he here? I don't know. I suppose so. What difference does it make? It might make a world of difference. Or you or me. Precisely, but uh, shall we add more certainly the boy outside? Yes. But you might be able to get around him, Joel, as you did the one in Istanbul. Uh, what was his name? You mean the one you couldn't get to come to? You're slapped, you'll take it and like it. Hello again and welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where we take a film out of the wonderful book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die. Discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And my name is Ian Woodington. And before we get to our fast-talking episode of the Maltese Falcon today, um, we're going to bring you some recommendations. Um, oh, shit. Do I have to keep that pace up as well? N- no, you don't. This episode's going to be super short. It could. It could. Um, no, I'll, I'll go first. Um, I'll go first with the recommendation. And I mentioned this movie a while ago when we talked about um, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, and it had kind of been on my mind to watch it again um, because it reminded me so much of it. And so uh, not... Um, and not too long ago, um, and, and so we decided to rewatch Shutter Island again. And I, I'd seen it, it's probably my third time that I, I've seen it. And I wasn't, I was underwhelmed when I saw it in theaters. And the more. I, I felt a little cheated, if I was honest. But the more that I've watched it since, the more I, I really appreciate it. And this might oh, no, go it, down as. It demands a second viewing. It, it might go down as one of like. It's going to be one of those Scorsese movies that doesn't get recognized, like it really in in the pantheon of great Scorsese because of he's done so many great things. But this is it's actually a really good movie. Um, if for anybody who doesn't know it, basically we follow um, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio who is playing uh, um, a U.S. Marshal and coming to this island to Shutter Island to basically investigate a missing person, and he's got a partner, Mark Ruffalo. And uh, Ben Kingsley is the um, the head doctor who runs it. Um, uh, Max von Sydow also plays one of the, the the psychiatrists. And throughout the movie, you know, Leo starts to have some of these thoughts and flashbacks, and you can't tell if they're dreams, and you can't tell if they're real. And you know, he has a wife that he lost, and he's also seen a lot of images of the time he spent in World War II, and. You know, there's a whole thing about this missing person, and there should be a 63rd patient, and nobody trusts Leo, and and it's it's a really it's a great it, it reminded it's in a way it's like a noir, but it's a psychological psychological noir, um, which is kind of why I also wanted to watch it for this Maltese Falcon episode, um, but it's a it's a great performance from Leo. It's I, I, I think I think Mark Ruffalo is great in it. Ben Ben Kingsley's great. Uh, what uh um Ted Levine has a part towards the end of it. Um, he's only in it for a little bit, and he has one intense, awkward scene with Leo as he's driving him back to to the the main part of the island. Yeah, isn't he? He's one of the guards. Yes, right. He's like yeah. the, he's like the the maybe the warden. I want to say, 
he well because there's also john carroll lynch yes, who i think yes. is i think he's the head warden or at least he's, I, I he's the that, first one that greets them yes, anyway. They, yes, yeah. yes, and he and he's in it more than than Ted Levine. Um, I don't know. I don't know, man. It, it and there's a big twist, and I feel like this was a popular enough movie, but it's I don't want to say what the twist. Well, it's is. also been ten years. So. I know, I know, but I just okay. Well, to reference back to the cabin of Doctor Caligari, everything is not what it seems. I'll just leave it at that. Um, and. Leo may be investigating his own disappearance, if you will, um, and and that this. But but what 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 sells this for me so much is the 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 real story behind his character and, and everything with him and Michelle Williams, and I do love the end of this movie. Like the end of this movie, I think is what makes it actually really really good. That he well yeah, because it could be just another nothing psychological thriller, but the decision that Leo makes yes, at the that's, end of yes. it. Is incredible yeah, and see, such a bold and brave move for an actor of his sort of star power and caliber. I mean, we talked about Tom Cruise in the top in the Top Gun episode. I mean, how often does he die in movies? And I'm not Leo doesn't die in this film, but he does have to make well a very a very important decision that is akin to a death of sorts. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, I, yeah, I, 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 I know I didn't take much time to talk about it, but. It's it's a good movie. The visuals are great. It's it's I don't know who the cinematographer was. I should have looked that up before we started talking, but it's great. Well, Scorsese I mean, has his core group of people that he works with. I know, but it, it it just doesn't feel like a Scorsese film. And not just the not the cinematography, but the the, the story itself and and while it's got some of that it's got it's got some edits that I feel like Scorsese cuts. And it, it still just feels so different from, from well, and something. It's, it's based on a Dennis Lehane novel, who's the uh, same guy that wrote Mystery River and Gone Baby Gone. I yeah. mean, he's a great, great writer. Yeah, I like his stuff a lot. I, as, I, as I mentioned, I wasn't so taken with it the first time I saw it. In the same way that I got to the end of A Beautiful Mind and felt a little cheated that none of it was real. Um, and then, of course, upon second and third and fourth viewings going, okay, okay yeah, 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 this is, no, this is great. And I love, in my mind, I love the way the film starts. Because you're just you're literally dropped in. Yes. And so I love in my mind I love thinking about what it took to get us there and yeah. all the setup and all the work behind the scenes that everybody had to do to get them to where they are. Yeah. Yeah. I. I. It's. It's good. I mean, it's. I mean, it's Scorsese. I mean, you're gonna get something good. I don't. I don't know that it's the his best film of the tens. No. Of that of that particular decade, but it certainly is. But what's what what's so great about it is, you know the the film historian and and the restoration expert that Scorsese is like you know how much this he was inspired by Caligari when he made it and just decided to that that this was how can we improve upon the story you know how can we add something to it yeah there's there's definitely a I don't know if expressionism is the right word to throw at this film but there is a sort of neo realism about it oh yeah yeah so uh yeah there you go there's my sort of Noirish, kind of similar in tone, but that's no, my, that, my hey, recommendation no, that, for the week. Is, it works. Uh, is Shutter Island. What do you got? So I I didn't go the noir route, but I do have another John Huston film. Okay. So I've got uh, the Man Who Would Be King, 1975. So directed by John Huston and with a a cast, uh, at least the three leads anyway, fantastic guys. You've got Sean Connery, giving what is probably his second best post-Bond performance of the 1970s. His first one for me being The Offense. 
Oh, I haven't seen from that. From 72. Okay. Oh, the dude, that is that is a cool movie. I mean, very hard to watch, but a very cool movie. Um, cool is probably absolutely the wrong adjective to use, but I mean, it's I mean, it's Connery doing something you would never expect him to do. Uh, anyway, so The Man Who Would Be King has got Connery, it's got Michael Caine as his buddy, Peachy Carnahan. What a great name. I know, it's a great character name. And then Christopher Plummer plays Rudyard Kipling. All right, that's a good cast. Yeah. yeah that's a good cast. And it's based on a Rudyard Kipling story, and Rudyard Kipling is actually a character in it as well. Uh, so they are two guys who are, they're kind of misfits, always kind of in and out of trouble. They're looking for, you know, a way to kind of make it big and to, to cash in on their time in the empire because it's it's set in the colonial days of great britain when we're out there in india and asia and all those those types of places uh so they decide they're gonna to ride to a place called uh, kafiristan and they're going to make of themselves kings amongst these people there are all these warring tribes out there and they're decided that they are going to unite them and then pull a fast one on them and you know run off with all their golds and riches and, and this that and the other um so they, they, they set about that. They go and they, through a series of circumstances, uh, Peachy Carnahan, the, again, great character, yeah. uh, played by Michael Caine, actually pickpockets Christopher Plummer and, and takes his watch only to find that there is a Freemason uh, emblem attached to the watch. He's oh, no, I can't do it. I'll, I'll, I'll be a dead man. I'll be marked for life <laughs> if anybody finds out that I nicked this thing. So he, he goes about getting the watch back to Christopher Plummer and they become friends and uh, he explains what his and Connery's goal is and they sign this contract that they will uh, they will not touch an ounce of booze and they will not uh, take any woman to their bed until they accomplish their goal you know it's like kind of gung-ho this is very much love's labor's lost oh, by the way oh is it yeah okay the, the, no I, the, <laughs> these three guys devout them they, they'd be celibate and not drink or not they're not basically have any merriment until they, they finish I think like a schooling thing instead of becoming kings but that but oh, okay. but love's labor's losses and like and then of course these women come and they're like oh shit all right i want to i want to be with the woman i'm not saying this is that's where it's going specifically yeah, yeah. but this sorry that's it i just oh that's it. I, everything goes back to shakespeare I'm, i know and i'm sure kipling was a shakespeare fan because how could you not be <laughs> um so they end up going uh through the kyber pass and they get bogged down there a little bit but they do get in uh to kafir stand and they actually end up meeting a guy uh, who they knew from their army days, this uh, guy that was a scout and a local and a guide for them, and he helps them go about uniting the tribes and setting down the path that they want to go down. Um, well, anyway, during this, Connery in battle gets hit with an arrow, but the arrow goes into this bandolier that he's wearing under his shirt, and so it just goes into the leather of that, and the people see him still fighting with an arrow in him and then all of a sudden the battle stops and they're all like bowing down to him because they believe he's a god and they oh, actually believe okay. that he is descended from alexander the great they believe that he is a son of of alexander and so the doors are just open to them and of course through greed and and a lot of the the themes that are in um John Huston's films, including this one, The Maltese Falcon, it deals with man's greed and his folly through greed and being blinded by this, that, and the other, of course, derailing him and ultimately leading to his fate. That's, that's kind of what happens with this, as Connery uh, tries to take this woman as his wife once he's established that he is now king of, of Kafiristan. It's actually the actress playing the woman is, is Michael Caine's wife, it's Shakira Caine, oh. who he met through Ridley Scott. So uh, whenever I can, I'm going to bring it back to Ridley. He was in a, she was in a, uh, a Folgers coffee commercial 
that he shot. And uh, I guess Michael Caine, when he saw that woman went in on, on TV, when this is the woman I'm going to marry, ended up tracking her down and, and Ridley introduced them. So wow. it's still the woman that Michael Caine is married to today. So there you go. Hey, you know, the best part of waking up is Shakira in your cup. I, okay. John. <laughs> At least for Michael Caine. It I'm, is anyway. I'm, very, I'm very tired. I was going to say Folgers, but so oh, I'm okay. going to stick with the coffee. All yeah. right. W- would you like a cup of coffee? No, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. I've got, I've got La Croix. Oh, you do have. Yeah, we don't need. We, we don't. so derailed. I'm yeah. so sorry. Anyway, the, so man, yeah. the man who would be king. Man who would be king. John Huston film. Um, just a rousing, rowdy kind of colonial. I mean, there's some unfortunate racism and colonialism that happens in it. Ah, I don't want to excuse it. And being British, it's kind of shameful I, part of history. But I, I, it, it's a if you put all, it's a rousing sort of fun romp that ends in a on a very ironic note sure i i sorry i can i just briefly tangent on that what you just said about that it's yes it, older movies and, and and especially older movies about even an even older time that that's gonna be there but we can only improve upon where we are by knowing where we came from oh absolutely so so like i i get it right that there are not great things that people have said and done before in the past but we only get to a place of being better by knowing where we came from well it's so, one of the, it's one of the things that i hate about social media there was a, a couple months back somebody had unearthed a, a john wayne playboy interview and they were like, oh my God, John Wayne was a racist and blah, blah. Yeah. He was. Yeah, we, we all is, is this knew this. News? How is this? Yeah, exactly. Okay. That was like yeah. the first response I saw. I was like, how is this news? Yeah. Like it doesn't excuse him. Same with Connery. Connery did a Playboy interview, I think around the time of The Man Who Would Be King, where he said it's okay to strike your wife if she mouths off to you. Oh, fucking Jesus. <laughs> Which, yeah. Okay. Well, that's not good. That's not good. But okay. again, it's why are we cycling back to this and make it was news in the 70s yeah yeah and it sucked when we heard it the first time i hear you yeah yeah i don't get it anyways um okay cool well there you go those are our uh our recommendations for the week um so we're talking about the maltese falcon today this is uh directed by uh john houston adapted from the novel by dashiell hammett have you read the book I've not. I'm not either. But my, my father-in-law is a huge fan of, of noir, and so he'll be very happy that we're, we're oh, doing nice. this episode, and nice. I'm, sure he'll, I'm sure he'll twist my arm into reading, but, which I, I would love to anyway, because I love all that kind of hard-boiled James Alroy. Well, and, and we'll, I'm sure we'll cycle back to this, but this version of the Maltese Falcon apparently was really good about staying true to the book. Well, and that's the whole point. Of, people asked Houston for years, well, it had already been made twice. It had been made in, in 31 and then again in 36. Six, yes. As uh, Satan. Satan Lady. Yes, where yes. they changed the, the falcon to like a ram's horn or well, something and like so that. Well, have you... So I, I guess before we even... We haven't even... We, we haven't gotten past the director of this yet, but... Um, well, we should talk about his no, reasons for wanting to make it. Well, no, but I. But what I was going to ask you first was, have you seen either of those other two? I have not. Have you? I did watch. So the the version of Maltese Falcon that I have comes with both other versions. Oh, so it's got it's got all three. Yes. I I couldn't bring myself to watch Satan Metal Lady. I watched clips of it, and I thought this is just. I don't want to watch it. And the original one isn't bad. In fact, when it came out, it was successful actually. Um, but. It leaves a lot to be imagined, mm. and 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 it, there's a lot of unexplained events um, that in that in our version that we'll be talking about today are explained, and it, it it's not as coherent. I mean, this one is. I mean, there's a reason why this one has lived on. It's it's much better. Yeah. Well, I think the the whole reason, one of the other reasons for making Satan Meta Lady is I think Warner's wanted to reissue 
the 31 version, but by that point, by 36, 35, 36, there was the Hayes production code. And so the values from earlier in the decade were no longer the same as the values from the middle of the decade. And they were like, well, there's certain things now that you can't, you're not allowed yeah. to re-release this thing. The because Sam, it's, the it's Sam too- Spade character in the, in the, in the 31 version is much more of a playboy. Yeah. Yeah. It's more explicit for the time. Yes. Right. Yes, yeah. it is. Um, so our, our cast of characters, uh, we've got Humphrey Bogart playing Sam Spade, Mary Astor playing Bridget O'Shaughnessy, uh, Gladys George plays Iva Archer, who is the wife of his partner. Peter Laurie, wonderfully as uh, as uh, Cairo, which is just fantastic. Uh, Lee Patrick plays Effie, who is his who is Sam Spade's assistant, and she was actually in uh, to circle back to a previous episode. She's in Vertigo in a very very small role. Oh, so uh, at the end, well, not at the end, but after everything has gone down with him not being able to save. Oh God, help me with the character's name, Madeline. Yes, from, yes. When he goes back to the apartment and sees the car, she's the woman that walks up to the got the apartment, and then they just gave her the car with it as well. That's that's her. Oh, oh. there you go. Okay. Little little right. callback to All a few right. weeks back. Like it, like it. Um, Sydney Greenstreet as Casper uh, Gutman or the Fat Man, um, in his first ever filmed performance. But he had been a stage actor for for, oh, for years, like forty years previous. Yeah. 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 Um, and then some, some smaller roles. Um, uh, Jerome Cowan plays uh, Miles Archer, who who's Spade's partner, who was really only in the movie oh, for a little bit of time. Yeah, he's just there to get bumped off. Um, uh, Barton McLean, who is uh, the Lieutenant Dundee, um, who we don't really like that much. Ward Bond. Anytime I can mention Ward Bond, I, I like him. Uh, he's been in some movies I don't really like. but Like he's, The Quiet Man? Yeah. He's Father Lonergan um, in that? He is Detective... Uh, Detective Tom Polhouse, and then um, the unfortunate Alicia? Al- 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 I would say Elisha. Elisha? Elisha Cook Jr., who plays Wilmer. And one of my favorite characters. He's got some of the best dialogue in the whole movie. <laughs> he, he got really lucky with this role, He I gets think. dumped on a lot, though. But he, he, gets oh. to, he gets to throw a little back. Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. Bogey's way as well. Um, so, uh, John Houston were you, is... Were you not going to mention Walter Houston? Uh, apparently I was not. Well, there you go. Uh, John Houston's dad, Walter Houston, a great actor in his own right, plays uh, Captain Jacoby, who's the man that dies yes. delivering the I Falcon. Didn't, I didn't write that down because like he's in it for like twenty seconds. But he was he was cast he's because he he was like a good luck charm. Yes, and of course he went on more famously to be in Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Yeah, and and I yeah I would say that the the John Houston, um, Sydney Greenstreet, Peter Lorre, um, Humphrey Bogart tandem was something that they that would happen a couple more times throughout and of course and all those guys green street and laurie would work together about nine or ten yes. more times and of course yeah. they would all go on to be in casablanca together mm-hmm. oh god i love me some casablanca yeah, so do i um so and speaking of casablanca um uh there are a bunch of other movies um by john houston in the but wait 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 uh, michael curtsy sorry i think you'll find directed casablanca so. yes i I, don't, I didn't mean to make the John Houston association. I meant to make it with the other three guys, but I, I was so on the train. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, other John Houston films in the book uh, include The Battle of San Pietro, which I don't know anything about. Well, it's a, it's a propaganda film. It's a short, yeah. Which actually came a day late and a dollar short, because I think it wasn't released until after World War II was over. Yeah, yeah. Or right, I mean, right towards yeah, the end. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, the Treasure of the Sierra Madre, uh, The Asphalt Jungle, The African Queen... Fat City, Pritzi's Honor, and The Dead. 
which was his his final film and, yes. and starring his his daughter Angelica Houston. So uh, same with Pretty Honor. Yes, and I think she won for her performance in that. Yes. Um, the interesting thing about that and him being in the book and as many times as he's in there, because that's I that's a fair number. Oh of, yeah, of, oh yeah, of films being there. I've. I've only seen two of those other ones. I've seen Sierra Madre and I've seen Fat City, which Fat City I really like a lot. I haven't seen any of them. Uh, Estet- Although, you know, I, I love my '70s films. Like, Sierra uh, Madre is high on my watch list. It's it's. Have you not seen it? No. You are gonna adore Sierra Madre. You are really gonna like that a lot. Uh, but is what? But what's interesting is there's a huge jump. Uh, he's got nothing in the book oh, between fifty-one and seventy-one. That's okay. That's I. That's what I. Part of what I. And, that's, you. and I went digging through his filmography, and yeah, it looks like he had a bit of a slump there, late fifties, early sixties, making some some pretty average films. Nothing really had anything on IMDb that was really. They were all like five point and six point in that yeah. kind of range. So uh, talk about some some accolades here. This movie came out in forty-one, and this is a. Uh, it's an interesting year. In, in film so it was it was nominated for best picture uh, it lost to How Green Was My Valley which I think is this year is maybe more known for the fact that How Green Was My Valley beat um, Citizen Kane um, so this movie was also nominated for best supporting actor for Sidney Greenstreet who and that also was lost to How Green Was My Valley uh, Donald Crisp yes yep. and then um, I was also nominated for the screenplay but that lost to Here Comes Mr. Jordan which I, I don't know anything about I, I looked it up yeah. and it's um it, it kind of smacks a little bit of uh, a matter of life and death because it's about a guy, heaven makes a mistake, this guy dies 50 years before he's supposed to, oh. and he comes back as this, uh, they kind of reward him when he comes back. He's now a very wealthy playboy. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, and the only other ones I found, so... Um, well, you're the, so before we move on from the Oscars, uh, Mary Astor actually won Supporting Actress that year but not for Maltese Falcon, but for The Great Lie. Oh. For a, uh, for a Betty Davis film, which is all about infidelity. It's about a woman uh, whose husband dies, and then after he's dead, comes to find out that he had an affair, and now this other woman has come to her, and she's pregnant with her dead husband's baby. And so Mary Astor, Mary Astor was in the, the, uh, the, the woman that he committed the infidelity with at that role, whereas Betty Davis was obviously the lead, yeah. being Betty Davis. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so the National Board of Review actually gave uh, best acting awards to both um, uh, Humphrey Bogart and Mary Astor. Again, not for this film, though. Yeah. Um, for well, but, uh, but, High, but, High Sierra and Great Lie. Yeah, it was. The National Board of Review does that, though, where they'll, they'll, they'll award for the, the body of work. Yeah, it's kind of like the year in review, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, hey, Ian, was this film inducted into the National Film Registry? In the very first year, 1989. Yes, it was. And then um, on the original AFI Top 100 list, it was uh, ranked number 23. And on the most recent uh, update in 2007, it was uh, it dropped a few places down to 31. But it is also on their 100 quotes list as well. It's number 14 on that for the line, the stuff dreams are made of. Yeah. Up to one of the final lines in the film. Which, of course, we've already talked about Shakespeare a little bit, apparently, is a um, sort of a, a, a misquoted version of a line from The Tempest. Yeah. Um, and then... I didn't. I didn't write the date down. We, we said we were going to do this. Yeah. So it's as of the first of July. It was two twenty-eight. Oh, that's what I got. Okay. Look at that. Go. Okay. Yeah. Um. But that that bottom end of the list is always really shifting quite yeah. a lot. Yeah. And again, that's well, you got to make room for Endgame. Yeah. Oh, 
Right. Again, this is what prompted it. Last, in last week's episode, <laughs> I mentioned that text that I sent to you, and of course that was prompted again by digging around on IMDb, trying to figure out where Maltese Falcon was on there and looking at all the other shit. Yeah, that recency bias thing is... Uh, that's... Yeah, that, that's a thing. You, you kids got problems with your MCU and your fucking Pixar. Just stop it. <laughs> your MCU. Can we, can, we let, old man. can we let these films be around for, I don't know, maybe like five fucking years before we decide it's the greatest <laughs> thing ever? Can we can we maybe see if they have some longevity? Oh I don't like God. a film like I don't know. I don't want to sound like a pretentious prick, but you know, Citizen Kane and The Godfather, and I'll even humble myself and say Shawshank Redemption. They're on the list for a goddamn reason. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Take your end game and sling your fucking hooks. Okay. Uh, uh, Rotten Tomatoes. This has a hundred percent score uh, critically with a ninety-one percent audience. One of the few films we've done so far with a hundred percent. Another one, of course, being Stalker. Any chance I get to talk about Stalker, yep. I'm going to do it. That's true. Um, and then, so I mean, reviews. You you know who I went with? Well, yeah, you know who I went with. We love Bosley Crowder. We love Bosley Crowder. We love him so much. I did um highlight the first part of his review, um, which just kind of leads into it. The Warners have been strangely bashful about their new mystery film, The Maltese Falcon, and about the young man, John Huston, whose first directorial job it is. Maybe they thought it best to bring both along under wraps, seeing as how the picture is a remake of an old Dashiell Hammett yarn done ten years ago, and Mr. Huston is a fledgling whose previous efforts have been devoted to writing scripts. And maybe, which is somehow more likely, they wanted to give everyone a nice surprise, for the Maltese Falcon, which swooped down onto the screen of The Strand yesterday, only turns out to be the best mystery thriller of the year, and young Mr. Houston gives promise to becoming one of the most, one of the smartest directors in the field. That was the highlighted bit I wrote. To continue that, the bit that I liked was the, uh, for the trick which Mr. Houston has pulled is a combination of American ruggedness with the savity of the English crime school, a blend of mind and muscle, plus a slight touch of pathos. It is also one of the most compellingly nervous laughter provokers yet. Um, if you could go back in time and have dinner with Bosley Crowther, would you not? I think I'd have to. Yeah. 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 I just want to pick his brain and just listen. Cause I, I imagine that he speaks like he writes and I, I just want to, I just want to sit down and get lost, lost yeah. in it. God. Bosley Crowther. Ah, that's just one of the be- the better names. Yeah. We uh, we missed out. We were born yeah. a century too late. We were. We were. Uh, also, I have the I have the box office figures. We oh. don't we don't always do that, sure. but uh they're available. Yeah. Uh it was made on a $300,000 budget, which is nothing <laughs> now. Uh but it did it did some really good business. It did uh almost a million dollars domestically. And then it did about eight hundred thousand in the foreign box office. So, uh, Houston had a hit on his hand. I mean, way to knock it out of the park on your first try. Yeah. I mean, he was always going to be destined for greatness. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, uh, you know, the the world of this of this story, you know, we we basically open in on Spade and Archer. They uh, they have a, an office. They are private eyes. And it's got that classic film noir trope of seeing the name of the business uh, projected onto the floor as the sun hits the window in exactly the right light. Now, so I've already mentioned this is the first time I've seen this movie. Uh, or first, maybe, I, maybe I haven't. This first, the, first time I've seen it. Okay. So there was a breakfast spot in Bellingham that we used to go to all the time uh, in Fairhaven. And across the street on the second floor of this building, it said Spade and Archer. 
And I always thought, and I hadn't seen it, I was like, that has to be like some kind of a noir PI thing, right? And then, of course, when I saw this movie, I got extremely giddy because I, I remember, like, oh my God, Spade and Archer! Spade and Archer. I was I was pretty thrilled. Um, so anyways, that was, uh, that was a nice nostalgic moment. I'm, I'm starting me. to feel, maybe we should do a side project where we just do film noirs and we call it Spade and Archer. Ooh. Yeah, I like that. A thousand and one brainchild right here. Little little side project. <laughs> Trademark. Yep. Um, <laughs> so, um, and we, you know, we get a lot uh, really quick. Um, you know, we get that there seems to be some kind of a illicit relationship going on with um, with Spade and, and Archer's wife. We don't know to quite what extent, but mm, isn't very good. And then we get um, introduced to uh, Miss O'Shaughnessy, who at the time isn't going by Miss O'Shaughnessy. She is going by... I don't know. She's got like three or four pseudonyms in this thing. Uh, anyways, um, so yeah, uh, she comes in under under a false name and basically says her sister is supposed to come home and she hasn't, and she's afraid that her parents are going to find out, and she's with a man and and basically wants uh, Spade to follow them around. Um, you know, find the guy and try and get the sister. Yeah. In air quotes, out of out of the guy's keeping. Yes. Uh, but then a lot of things go wrong real quickly. Um, Archer decides that he's going to tail and uh, he ends up getting shot and is killed. And Speed doesn't really have a huge reaction to his death. Yeah, that's that's really odd. I mean, it, it pays off later. Yes. But yeah. at the time, you're like, dude, did you not? You clearly didn't give a shit about this guy. And you yeah. really are porking his wife. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, we... Spade gets curious about what's going on and tries to do some of the the, the detective work to, to find out where he was and, and why he got shot, which leads back to uh, Miss O'Shaughnessy and that, that she's not who, who she said that she was. Um, we get introduced to uh, Cairo, who just happens to be in uh, Spade's office. I love that bit where he basically pulls the gun on him really quick and then he takes it, or Spade takes it from him, and then gives it back later on. It says he's not really a threat, and then he he puts the gun back on him. I I enjoy that moment. Yeah. Quite a bit. Well, of course, when when he's slapping him around, he's like, "When yeah. you're slapped, you'll you'll like it." Yes, you'll take it and like it. Oh, the, I, I, I was, yeah. I mean, the it's, dialogue, it's the dialogue this, that saves this film for it's, me. It is such of this time, and I love. So apparently, there one of the things about it was you know the producers were seeing the dailies and they thought that Bogart was taking too long with his lines. And so he basically, and Houston being a first time director just gave the note to talk quicker. And so really what we, what we get is the producers through Houston to Bogart basically saying, you need to talk quicker. And so it's not like the fast talking thing was necessarily a noir trope. I think it almost became one after this movie. Yeah. It's almost like it happened by accident. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but God, the pace with which Bogart gives some of these lines, I mean, it, it, it's what, it's almost, I mean, the dialogue is good, but it's just as entertaining to watch somebody say these lines that quick. It's yeah, no, I, I, I wish that my, my major problem with this film is that I wish I hadn't been watching it for the podcast the first time because I had to stop it a handful of times. Like, oh man, I got to get, I got to write that down. I got to make a note of that because it's something I want to highlight. And I, there was a... Because the move, the film does move so briskly. Yes, it does. Uh, and I was interrupting it to take notes yeah, and make sure that I yeah. was getting everything that I wanted to. So that 
I, I need to go back and, and watch it because I feel my, my opinion has been stunted because of that. Sure, that's fair. And, uh, well, I, I, we kind of, I, I, I idiotically skipped over the fact that we get this, at the very beginning, we get a little scroll about um, the Knights of Malta and they had this encrusted falcon that, you know, is worth, you know, who knows how much? Yeah, it's it's worth a lot of money, and there's going to be a gift to the the king of Spain or, or yeah. some such. And uh, so Cairo comes to Spade because he's looking for O'Shaughnessy because he believes that she has it. And um, Spade does a really good job of playing both sides, you know, keeping O'Shaughnessy kind of on the hook and also keeping Cairo on the hook. Well, he, he does. He leads her along, and there's a sort of romantic thing that happens with almost I, I feel kind of unnecessarily but it, it, the, the romance between them for me seems forced yeah it's well it's tough because you know I, I, I like the relationship that they have that Spade and O'Shaughnessy have the thing that that seems to be an unnecessary wrench in the gears is the is everything with Archer's wife because it doesn't really yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't really go anywhere, and I know people talk about the MacGuffin of, um, the Falcon, but I think one of the MacGuffins in this movie is really just well, Miss Archer. Yeah, it has it has a couple of them, and yeah. she's definitely another one. Um, so that's there's a. I mean, I I. I... Sorry, I keep derailing your synopsis no. by by chiming in. No, no, no. It's it's. I mean, everybody's looking for the the bird. And and it all it's all coming back to Spade now because we knew that Archer was following, who turns out to be. Um, well, they're they're all looking for for the Sydney Green Street character yes, essentially. Yes. Um, and, and and the movie I think is it's it's mediocre to good until we get to Green Street, and then I think he just he brings a whole different level of, of fun. Well, and, he and both he both this. literally and figuratively fills the room. Yeah, I also yeah, so he's. He's a he's not just nicknamed the fat man for no reason. I mean, they had the specially reinforced the chair that he sat in, in the and hotel all room. his costumes were made from yeah. scratch. He's he was at the time three hundred and fifty pounds. He's a big fella. Yeah. Um, Which I don't. That must incumbent. That 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 must uh, inhibit stage work quite a bit, unless most of your stage work is is sitting in one place or standing in one place. He obviously was not a very uh, mobile, active. Yeah. Um, well, you know, early American realism, they, you know, it was called kitchen sink dramas for a reason. It was it was a lot of just kind of sit and stand and say your lines. It wasn't necessarily really crafty, creative blocking. Um, so I'm not, I'm not surprised to hear that he had a success, like a long, successful theater career. You definitely wouldn't have found him in the garage singing Cool It and, <laughs> and moving around and clicking his heels together and dancing and all that shit. No, I don't believe you would have found him in West Side Story. No. Maybe as like Krupke or something, but yeah. not, no, no. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, we get a little more inf- information from Green Street, you know, that the Falcon isn't worth as much as others have kind of alluded to. Cairo was willing to pay thousands of dollars, but, you know, Gutman basically says, no, 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 this is worth a lot more than that. And he's willing, I think, to give like six figures if he can get them. Oh, you know, they're, they're talking into the millions. And yeah. of course, Sam is going to get like a quarter million dollar cut of that, supposedly. Yeah. And then, you know, and then um, Spade gets double-crossed by Gutman and he gets drugged and he, and then he kind of tries to like 
starts to play catch up and but O'Shaughnessy seems to trust him and ultimately we get to this really kind of kind of fun long intense scene in um Spade's apartment towards the end when they're waiting for it to be delivered only to find out really at the end that the bird is not the bird it's it, it is in fact not the word <laughs> No, too far. Did did he go too far? No, no, that's that's that's. <laughs> I, that's oh my god, the bird is the word. The bird is the word in this movie. Um, but at the same time, also not the word. Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, so so yeah, ultimately the bird. Um, at the end doesn't it does mean it's it that means nothing. It's it's lead. I think is what they say at the end. Um, and that's that. And also the stuff dreams are made of. Yes. Yes. So, what do you when you think of this movie? I mean, what comes to mind first? Well, it it's a it is the foundation upon which all other film noirs are built. I mean, this is the one. I mean, before this, you had the gangster films and and things like that, which they dipped their toe in the noir territory, but you didn't really have a lot of. It, there was no investigating, really. It was right, crime yeah. related, but yeah, you yeah. didn't really have these guys. And the whole point of film noir is that these these characters were following our windows into these worlds these pis they're they're very gray area characters yes and i feel like bogey was the absolute perfect choice for that because he's coming off of playing nothing but heavies yes yeah for for the entirety of his career up until this point he wasn't really considered a leading man until this and so this film does I think I respect it more than I like it for all the trends that it's set and all the, the sort of, you know, foundations that it would build for other people to, to leapfrog off of and, and, and create this whole great world of noir cinema, including one that I know both of us really yeah. enjoy, Double Indemnity. Oh, yeah. You know, there'd yeah. be no Double Indemnity without Absolutely. the groundwork that Houston laid here. Yeah. Um, you know, I know that Bogart wasn't the original choice. They, they offered it to George Raft. And I love why he turned it down. He turned it down because he had a I don't have to work on remakes if I don't want to clause in his script. Yeah. And also, he didn't want to work with a novice. Yeah. yeah. Well, which is something a very arrogant and uh, in a way seasoned actor in Hollywood would do. You know, there's well, a certain I, amount of privilege that apparently comes with that. I, I think not knowing a ton about George Raft, I'm going to assume here. that we're we're better for it. Yeah. Well, and you know, it was so funny because I. Bogart in the movie, def- I mean, I don't know if anti-hero is the right word, but he, I love, I love that line that that you say that tightrope that he walks of his character. I, the scene where he he first I think is talking to to Green Street, and he gets really pissed and he kind of it's like the first moment of of like emotion we see from him. And he throws the glass and he really gives it to him, and I'm like okay, and he leaves and he's got that smile on his face. Like the whole really the whole thing was just an act. Yeah. for him and I well and then he goes to this is the the one moment that just I felt I started even though I say the move the movie moves at such a brisk brisk pace this is the bit that he goes off to the DA's office and you're reminded of the fact that oh the cops are on to him and yeah. then we go back to the hotel and we just kind of pick up where we left off and my question is well did we really need to stop and leave the room why not just stay in the room the whole time and trying to get where the DA scene is, is an unnecessary distraction. I would agree with that. I mean, we get enough from the cops visiting yeah. him to and know all the that stuff they're with, on him. With Tom and the cops are, oh man, like what's your boyfriend driving at? Yeah. That's which, some of the best dialogue in the movie. And, and, and for the day too, like that. Yeah. Kind of racy stuff. Yeah. 
Um, although there was something I wrote down. One of the documentaries I watched on this, there was something, there was a note that was given about Peter Lorre's character. They didn't want, um, cause in the book, it's more clear that, that Cairo was gay. Um, and, oh, was Laurie playing it more effeminately or? Well, I don't know if no, the, the note, uh, the production note was actually about the script mm. before it got, before it was even shot. Um, and the note that they, they sent back to the studio was, and I quote, we cannot approve the characterization of Cairo as a pansy is, oh, is literally the uh... note. That got sent back to John Houston. I, I bet Warners would rather wish that hadn't got out. That's a, a real note that was given. A pansy. Okay. Uh, well. Different, different, very unfortunate times, folks. Yeah, yeah. Um, Not that I think there's been enough of, enough of a leap made, but... Well, that's... That's, that's neither that's here nor there. Too. Um, the, but, other, the other line I love with him in the coughs is, uh, You birds cracking foxy. Oh, I... Uh, there's so much. Oh, you already said the one the um the, the what's your boyfriend getting at? But or, well, the uh, um oh god, I I wrote down a couple because I, I I actually I actually took a lot of notes. But you said the one about the um when you're slapped, you'll take it and like it. Um, I don't mind a reasonable a reasonable amount of trouble. One a reaction at one point is just horse feathers, which I just I love. And then the last one, I, the last one I I I typed down because I wrote way too many was. The cheaper the crook, the gaudier the patter. Oh, that's because the the line pre. I and I love the line previous as well. Is like you keep riding me, you're gonna be picking lead out of your liver, or picking iron out of your liver. Yeah, the cheaper the crook, the gaudier the patter. Oh, oh god, it's, it's but, oh, so but good. I I think the you birds cracking foxy. I'm I'm gonna start trying to use that in conversation when somebody Please is giving do. me a hard time. Whenever I hear something I don't agree with, I'm just gonna start saying horse feathers. Yeah, horse feathers. Brilliant. I, but great. you gotta say it like that too. Horse feathers. You gotta. Raise your chat. Um <laughs> I mean I mean, but us kind of doing very bad more impressions of these lines, it it's it's a testament to the dialogue in this movie. I mean it's it's fun. It's really good. I, I enjoy the hell out of it. I actually in in terms of the history of it, I didn't realize how much of a um a torrid past Mary Astor had. I was fascinated by oh, yeah, hearing she was, about her. She was scandalous. Scandalous and had an affair with, was it um, Lionel Barrymore or John Barrymore? Which, yeah, yeah, John, John Barrymore, yeah. And then, like, and then ultimately kind of playing, like, this character, which seems very much, I don't know, in, in line with who, I don't know. I just... It the, seemed very fit. It seems yes. like she may have been cast solely on that, and yeah. they knew that they could get a real... Oh, shit, this thing's got Mary Astor in it. Yeah, yeah. She's a scandalous Definitely. broad. Definitely. Well, she also had a husband die in a in a car crash or a plane crash or something like yeah, she, that. Oh yeah, she, she I, and she was just a raging alcoholic. Apparently, that's a, that's a, I don't I don't want to read many biographies about actors, but that's what I'm like. I don't know if I don't know if there is one, but I kind of hope there is because I I feel like it would be really interesting. Yeah. Oh wait, isn't that part of what happened? She she had a diary. Um, yeah, that's uh, yeah. Her and, secretary leaked. I heard it was an ex-husband. Oh, it was an ex-husband. Okay. That put it out, and uh, all the shit came out. Oh, I thought it was a. I thought it was a secretary when she was about to get married. A secretary of either her or a former husband who leaked it to kind of ruin her upcoming marriage. I think is what I had read to, to oh, finish I, that I, thought. I, yeah. Um. Although, and then they in, in the in the uh, the documentary about. The Maltese Falcon. They they reference a line that she says, "I have lived a good life. I've been bad." This as a as an interesting line that she gets to say in the movie 
particularly knowing what we know about Mary Astor. I just... and yeah, it doesn't seem like she probably had to do much acting yeah. at all. They were probably yeah. just like, Mary, just be yourself. <laughs> You're going up to Houston and be like, hey, what, what are my notes here? No, just just be you. Take all of that and just do you. Um, but, I, but, you know... Kind of, you know, I guess, I guess, kind of talking about Shutter Island and then kind of talking about Caligari, it all kind of makes sense because part of what makes noir noir is is the use of shadow and those Dutch angles that are, I think, are really that are really known from German expressionism. Well, and that's uh, circling from that to my favorite shot. My favorite shot is not just the the name of the business projected onto the floor through the light. It's uh, there's a shot where uh, Wilmer. Uh, has bogey at, at gunpoint. Uh, I think it's later on in the movie where they're in the apartment, and uh, it's it's a somewhat of a close up of Bogart. He's in the chair, and then Wilmer steps into the frame with the gun pointed directly at Bogey. He's like, "I'm gonna, t- I've taken all the riding. I'm gonna take off of you." Uh, th- those kind of it's not, almost extreme angles in the way that the Gutman is shot from fairly down, you know, mm-hmm. from a low angle and yeah. things like that. Doing it's. Uh, not stuff that we would consider experimental now, but certainly was not straightforward filmmaking back in the day. And of course they talk about the very famous, uh, seven minute shot as well in this thing. I mean, that was a big gamble on your first film to do something like that. And you don't even realize that, well, it's, a, that it's a long take because you're so drawn into green street and yeah. what he's doing. And that might be, I mean, I took it. I love the spade and archer reflection being shown in, in the office. Um, but I, I think it's that that long take is probably my my favorite sequence because it's it's a combination of both the technicality of the the moving of the camera, but also just the scene itself. It, it you know everybody gets a good moment to shine in it. I I, I really do enjoy that moment. So this is good. We're accomplishing a goal here. I went into this thing very lukewarm, and I'm enjoying the movie more now that we get to discuss it. I found that's happened a couple of times. But it's it, but you're 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 so right though about. The, I, I the, was totally the, lukewarm to it by the time that it was done. I was like, yeah, I can respect it and understand why it has a place in history and why it's so revered, but I feel like a lot of it is also built on nostalgia, which is yeah. how I felt about Citizen Kane the first time I watched it. It wasn't until the, sec- the second time I saw Kane that I was like, oh, okay, well, yeah, now the, I'm getting it. The pitter-patter of the dialogue is great, but you're, it, you, it clips along so much that you're right. It, it would be you different. almost don't have time to enjoy it. Yes. And in and, and, and a way, and kind of circling back to another episode we talked about earlier with um, Duck Soup, it's not that I didn't like that movie, but it was hard it, for the purposes of a podcast. It's hard to in, watch it and enjoy it, especially if it's a first watch, you know. And, and Well, that was the second time I'd seen Duck Soup, and well, it was still tough. And and just just to follow up on something from, from a long time ago now, it seems like, you said the next one I should watch was Horse Feathers, and I did, and I just don't think I'm a Marx Brothers fan. And and that's okay. Did um, you did you like it more than Duck Was it or was it just you kind of had the same feelings? I kind of had the same feeling. Um, uh, did you find the plot was more coherent, though, than Duck Soup? Uh, well, sh- sure. As far I, as plots in their films exactly, go, so yeah, that, that's that's a lot to say. But yeah, I do. I mean, it, it definitely follows a, a more of a structure, you know. But but yes, I. It feels more like a movie than a series of sketches. What which is what Duck Soup feels like to th- me. Yes, that's I I would agree with that. But just in in a way, just comparing, I guess, movies of the time because, you know, we're, we're coming out of the stage being, so so prevalent to to now we're, to, we're at talkies and and well if we're going to be able to go out of this you know stage to silent film but then back to getting the spoken word on film 
they really seem to want to get a lot done in the short amount of time. And so there's just so much verbal link, like, like, um, a verbal tennis going on the back and forth is so great. But if you're trying to take notes, it's, it's real tough. Well, and you know, I would never just offhandedly advocate a remake. And of course this film is already the second remake, but I would, I'd be interested to see with the aesthetic that we have now in film. I'd love to see somebody take another crack at it. I don't think it, I don't know so much that I want to see another version of it, but I just want to see noir come back. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, and I know this isn't a, ch- I don't know. When when I and saw Brick, when when we're at, oh, thank you. Oh, <laughs> do, do you want? Let's talk about the Maltese Falcon a little more, and we'll we'll come back to Brick. I have something very deliberate. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I watched Brick very deliberately just a couple nights ago. Okay. Okay. Um. So we've talked about some some favorite shots. Do you, do you have an unsung hero? Well, I don't know that he's unsung, but I got John Houston. Just yeah. what a gamble. And and the executives at Warner's, I mean, those guys taking such a gamble on this guy that had tried to have a career as an actor in the late 20s and kind of yeah. failed at that and then had a, had a pretty decent career as a yeah. screenwriter and it lasted him about a decade. But well, then, he, then- had a, he had a film, uh, Juarez, where Paul Muni had taken his script and, and cut it to ribbons and rewritten it. And Houston, from that point on, was like, no, that's it. I'm directing my own scripts. And yeah. he, he just set about doing it. And I mean... More power to him. So I, he knocked it out of the park first try. I know I mentioned prior to recording that I couldn't... Just, this is a weird frame of reference, but I, I mentioned to you that I, I couldn't get past maybe an hour's worth of I'm Not There, which you, were not, you weren't too thrilled to hear. Um, being, well, just being the Bob Dylan and the Todd Haynes fan I, that I am. I tried watching um, The Other Side of the Wind. Oh, the, the final Orson Welles That Houston film. is the he's lead in. He's, yeah, it's him and... Um, Another filmmaker from that era, uh, 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 Peter Bogdanovich. Yes, it's um, and I I didn't watch the I other side of the wind. Past, I couldn't get past twenty five minutes. Did you watch the document? Because I didn't watch the other side of the wind, but I watched the documentary. They'll they'll miss me when I'm dead or something. Oh, maybe I need, no, I haven't seen that. And but, I felt oof. like I I was gonna watch the other side of the wind immediately after, and then I stopped. And I th- I th- I was like, yeah, I think I saw all I needed to of that in the documentary. Yeah, you probably did. Yeah. I was not. Anyways, I was not. Impressed. But Houston was a was a pretty good. He was a pretty fine actor. Well, he was great in, in his um, own right. Chinatown. Yeah, he's fantastic. And this is this is where I was lukewarm to. I'm kind of, and I don't know. Maybe if we hit all the points we wanted to hit, maybe we'll start getting towards the end of the episode now. Um, oh, I just well, I just want to say, I, 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 my unsung hero for the sake of just really trying to be like somebody like is probably Wilmer because he's just such a, a fun small oh, yeah, character. Yeah, yeah. I'd say Green Street, except for the fact that. It's a good role, and he did, he did go on to do a lot of things. I don't know this guy, but he's he gets a lot. He gets the play. He he's the heavy. I feel like yeah, and it's it's just well yeah. Again, literally and figuratively. No, not Green Street. I mean, I mean Wilmer. Oh, Wilmer. Okay, yeah. yeah. But I, so I I came out of of Maltese Falcon thinking to myself, I I feel like I should have a replacement for this, and I was thinking, well, Houston's in the book already, and I watched Man with uh, the Man Who Would Be King. I was like, oh, that'd be a good replacement, but Houston's already got a lot in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's already, I mean, a ton of great noirs in the book as well. Obviously, Double Indemnity is yeah. there, and then of course, uh, to bring up an unfortunate name, Polanski created the end all and be all of noirs. When it, I think Chinatown is the greatest noir ever made, and I'm, I'm not going to apologize for that. I know it's a Polanski film. It's really unfortunate. It sucks. It sucks so hard to have to say, but it is the greatest noir ever made. Sure. I might go double indemnity, but yeah. but Chinatown's in my top 
three. Yeah. You know, I'm yeah. So I'm I'm glad you brought up Brick because if I was to have a replacement for Malsey's Falcon, it's Brick. Yeah. I, I, I love Brick. I've I've seen Brick probably half a dozen times. Yeah. Uh, Liz and I watched it just like two or three nights ago, and it, it was kind of on my mind anyway because the the same day that I watched Maltese Falcon was the same day that the Knives Out trailer dropped. You have Ryan Johnson's new film, and I'm yeah. looking at it, and after Last Jedi, I'm a little bit disenfranchised with Ryan Johnson as a filmmaker. Uh, and I'm looking at this thing going, man, this is a stack cast. It's great. I don't know why people keep telling Daniel Craig he can do a Southern accent, but he needs to stop that shit. <laughs> he needs to stop that shit immediately. You didn't buy him in Logan Lucky? I didn't buy anything about Logan Lucky. I like that movie. Oh, it's man. It's stupid I fun. suffered through that thing. Um, but I'm like, if this thing is just going to do the Agatha Christie, oh, they all stabbed him once, like at the end of Murder on the Orient Express, that's kind of, I may actually not go see Knives Out because I think, I think I know how it already ran, ends. You know what I mean? There's so much prevalence of all knives in the house and the movies call knives out. Sure. There's so many family members who all are going to have a motive. Yeah. If they all stabbed him once, I wouldn't be surprised. And then fuck you. You just ripped off Agatha Christie, which I know is hard to do because hard not to do because I mean, she just set the groundwork for everybody. Yeah, that's fair. But yeah, no, I, I was so impressed with Brick as a first feature. And I think, I, I don't know that it's the level of John Huston's first feature with this. It's certainly, I don't think it will ever go on to have the same sort of iconic status. Well, and that's why that's tough is because I, I think as, as films go, I probably enjoy Brick more than I enjoy the Maltese Falcon. I absolutely agree with that. But you're right about the history. I mean, and, that's, and of course we're only, we're only 12 or 13 yeah. years past Brick. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, almost 15 years past Brick. And we're, of course, we're, 60 70 years past yeah. Maltese Falcon. Yeah. So No, I, I hear yeah, it, it's a harder comparison to make. It but is. I I think I would leave Maltese Falcon in the book just because of how iconic it again with the Top Gun argument. It's so iconic. It, it you is. almost can't not have it in there. But I also I you, yeah, and yeah, I mean it is one thing, you know, you to take into account other, you know, how many films does this person have in the book and you know how iconic is it? And granted, I haven't seen any of these other movies in here, but I know I know of Treasure of the Sierra Madre, and I know of the African Queen. Um, and I've so heard African, of African Queen, I'm surprised you haven't seen. I, I, dude, I haven't seen a lot of them. I try, you know. Um, He's a busy man, ladies and gentlemen. You know, it's, it's I, mean, I would say it's probably a good idea that maybe Battle of San Pietro comes out and we stick brick in there. I'm not, okay without having without having seen it. I'm okay oh, and, without having seen it. I'm okay with that too. And then we can have both Malsey's Falcon and Brick in there. We're great. But Look for anybody who hasn't seen Brick, do you want to give a quick rundown of Brick? Oh, Brick. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is the lead in it. Um, a girl that he used to date um, has been killed, and he essentially takes it upon himself to find out what happened to her. Um, everybody's got great nicknames. Like I think it's the Pin, the Pin, and Pug. Tug. Tug. That's what yeah. it is pin uh his sidekick is brain yeah yeah and it's 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 and it's set modern day whenever it was i think like oh six or something in a, in a high school in a high school yeah and i remember seeing it and going holy shit somebody made chinatown in a high school yeah it's but i but as i'm as i'm watching maltese falcon and and brick so close together i can see so there is so much dashiell hammett dialogue in it and there is yeah. so much of that john houston influence yes. in it yes i feel it, like they really they, tries to bring back that those sort of you know not not horse feathers but there's a lot of that kind of interesting dialogue let me spin it for you real quick yes yeah, exactly stuff like that exactly yeah. um keep up with me now 
It's good. Oh, it's so good. I, I think they go hand in hand really nicely. You get a bit of, if to, if you were to do these as a double feature, you would have the wonderful nostalgia and the, the iconic, you know, trailblazing film along with, you know, 70 years later, this is what it spawned. This is still how good noirs can be. You know, and the one thing, you know, to, to, to lean back a little bit in favor of Maltese Falcon is, as as much as I like uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Brick, he does he he is one tone like the whole time. Bogart is so good in the movie, man. He walks that line. He gets to be explosive and tender and also just badass. Like I don't know, he gets to play a lot of things. Yeah, Gordon I, Gordon really Levitt well. has one explosive moment, but it's not as good as Bogey's. No, no, yeah, it's yeah. Anyways, just to, to bring a little love back to Bogart and uh, the Maltese Falcon. So yeah, I so I mean it should be in the book. It absolutely should be in the book. No. Yeah. Uh, Multi, get... Maltese Falcon or, or Brick. Both. Or, or both. both. I think both should be in the book yeah. somehow. I mean, yeah. We, we both have a love for Brick. Uh, but but I, I do think Maltese Falcon should be in there. And Brick, I, Brick is a film I'm, I'm kind of jealous of. Because I, I was like, I'm so good. I wish I had made it. I, you, so are, good that we, I, I wish I could have been a filmmaker at that time and had made this. We've, we've had the, that exact conversation at least three times before in our lives about Brick. About, about yeah. just about Brick yes, or about, about other movies? No, well, other movies too, but Brick specifically. Are you are you kind of jealous of it as well? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like man, I wish I could make something this fucking good. Although I saw a trailer for uh, a movie called Hide and No, not Hide and Seek, something like that. It's a. It's oh, a, is it the the they she gets she, this young gets girl married. gets married and yes. now she's being inducted into the family with the game and the game yeah. is Hide and Seek, but it's. It's real hide and seek. Like, you're, like people are gonna, she's gonna die. She has, yeah. she has to survive in the morning. And I literally, I, le- I leaned over to Melissa and I go, I just need to make a movie. I need to write something because this is garbage. Yeah. There's just so much. Oh no, it wasn't that. It was the crawl. It was the trailer oh, the, for the, crawl. The, I was al- like, the alligator this movie. This is being made. This is a thing. Yeah, I thought I thought we oh, got I thought we got past this in God. the late '90s with Anaconda and Lake Placid and all the shit. Are we, are we still are we here? Apparently are we still we're here? Swinging back, yeah. Like twenty years later, we didn't learn shit. And from poor like... Barry Pepper, man, I liked him. Yeah, Why? me too, man. He's doing shit. He really is. Like Ugh. the last good thing he did was the uh, the Tommy Lee Jones movie, The Three Burials. Oh, please tell me you saw. Three no, Burials. I did. I did. Was yeah. that before? He, but he had a. That's like 2005, six, he, about did, the same time. He as had Brick. a small role in uh, True Grit. Oh, does he? Yeah, I don't remember him in True. I remember Josh Brolin has a, a does, small role. I know. I thought. Well, God, I thought he did too. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. But yeah, yeah there, there you go. There's another shout out for Three Burials as well. I mean, what a cool. That film. is an obscure movie. It is. So the full title is Three Burials of Melchiati Estrada. That's good. That's a did, did, goddamn did, good movie. Did TLJ? Did he direct that too? Yeah, direct oh. and start. Okay, yeah. yeah I think it was good. his second film as as director. That's good. That's a good movie. Yeah. But anyway, anyways, we're, we're, yeah, we're off we're topic. We're, so anyways, we're way the hell away from the Maltese, Maltese Falcon. Falcon. We both agree should be in the book as well as Brick, but you know what? We want to know what you think. So let us know what you think about the Maltese Falcon. Let us know what you think about Noir in general. If you've seen Brick, um, we'd love to hear what you think about Brick because we definitely have opinions on it. Um, So you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter. Please leave us a message. Hit us up. Let us know what you think. If you're listening, you're probably listening on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Google Play. Please like, rate, review, comment, all those great things. Um, We want more visibility, and we only get that with the good word of mouth that we get from you guys. So please leave us some feedback. And until next time, I'm Adam. And I'm you. And we will see you next week. Bye.